Welcome to Reveal Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. Stand with me as we read those first six verses together. It reads like this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body, there is one spirit, just as we were all called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and is in you all father this morning we have sung praises to your name we have fellowship together as we've come into this place we have now opened the word and we have read those words that you spoke to the hearts of the men to write father we believe your word is inerrant it's infallible every word that is penned on the page is from your heart So this morning, as we look at this passage, open our eyes that we may see you. Make very little of me, very much of you, that you may be glorified in this place this morning. This we pray in the name of your precious Son and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've been telling you for some weeks that I've been ever so anxious to preach this particular message. It has been on my heart and in my mind for months Now, God placed this message in my heart, and I think he did it for a reason. He did it because I did not believe what I'm about to preach to you today. He has completely changed the way I see the church in this world. He's completely changed its its duty, its mission in my mind within this world. He's actually taken my heart and conformed it to be what he would have it be in, in the place of the church. And it's amazing to me how God opens scripture and he pours to us what he would have us learn and it may be a passage you've read a thousand times it may be it may be scripture that you've seen over and over and you may have heard preached in other places but I tell you I hope when I link these passages together this morning that God's laid on my heart that you see what I saw I hope you see this picture of the church that God's trying to make we want to complain about what's going on in the world around us. And we want, to, we want to condemn people for stuff. And really, all condemnation should be pointed back at us. Because the only reason the world's headed in the direction it's headed is because we haven't done our job. Because the answer to all the problems in the world around us is this man, this God-man named Jesus. And the world will only hear about Jesus if we open our lips and spread the gospel. But more importantly, there's another way that God has put in place that this world would come to understand their dire straits and their need for a man named Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at that. We've been talking about this unity, and if you would flip with me the Psalms 133, and let's just launch from there and see what God can lay on our hearts. You know, we've been speaking about unity, and why is this church to be unified? We talked about unity starts and through humbleness, through us thinking a lot less about ourselves and a lot more about those around us. And, and it was to move through there into this meekness where we knew that there was this power within us that was from God, but we didn't unleash that power unless it was at God's demand. And then we, that led us to have this patience, and Lord, do we need patience 
We need patience. Pastor a church one time and you'll learn to pray for patience. That's all I'm going to say about that. But you do, we definitely need patience. And from patience, we're to move to love. We are to spread that love that God showed for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. That, that love, that agape love that was not looking for anything in return, was not given because it was deserved, but was a love that was spread when we were so undeserving. And those things linked together should lead to this unity within the church. And I think if you're honest with yourself, as I've had to be honest with myself over the last few months, that unity doesn't exist in the church today. It absolutely does not exist in the church today. How do I know that? Because each of us have a preconceived idea of what we want to happen in the church. And lots of times we could care less what the Word says, but we vocally express what it is that we want within the church without ever stopping and thinking about what God wants. It happens all the time. How do I know? I've had discussions just this week of it happening in this church. Is it a bad that we have our way? No. Unless it's not used to glorify God. The only thing we should ever do is that which God leads us to do. Anything else we do outside of God's leading is sin. If you understood the depth of the sin of church today, you'd already be at the altar on your face. Asking for forgiveness. God's church needs to change. We look in Psalm 133 as we think about this unity. Why unity in the church? Why is it the topic? Why do the first six verses of Ephesians 4 point to one thing and it's unity? Number one, because unity is good. I think we could all agree with that. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 133. It says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard. The beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing live evermore. We read that and there's some things within there we don't quite understand. But let me sum it up to you really quick. The very first verse or two there tells us everything we need to know. The first verse says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I think from the physical point of view, we can all agree with the fact that to be unified, to be of one heart, is good. Nobody wants to be in disharmony, disunity. Nobody wants somebody that doesn't like them. We all want to be unified. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in the second verse. It says, it's like this precious oil upon the head and running down the, the beard, the beard of air and running down to the edge of his garments. Oil, oftentimes, so we see it mentioned in Scripture. It's a mention of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oil is often the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is this unity brings this precious anointing upon those that are unified in God. How many of you want the anointing of God on the church today? Anybody other than me? Would you really like for God to reach out his hand and anoint this church? He's saying that unity brings this special anointing, but he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 3, it's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. And we go, what is a dew of Hermon? Well, Hermon was a mountain in the in Palestine, it was one of the furthest mountains away in this, this mountain range. It's talking about this dew, so it's picturing something falling on this mountain. You know this dew that falls on the top of Mount Hermon turns into a small trickling stream and runs down and eventually 
finds its way to this river called Jordan. This river of life for all of the area. This river of life that flows through the desert land. And I think what God is saying is this, that unity brings anointing upon the church. Anointing upon the church brings God's blessing. God's blessing flows, and it blesses both the righteous and the unrighteous. And it's done through this unity in the church. So unity within the body of God is good. It's good for us. It's good for those that live around us. It's good for the community. But you know, there's more than that. That's generally where our thought about unity stops. It's where mine stopped. I was thinking, what could we do? How could we be so unified that we could affect and for positive the community around us? How could we all get along? But you know, that's not God's will, ultimately. It's not God's focus, ultimately, that we just get along. It's not even God's will that we be the life spring, so to speak, of the community. I think there's a bigger picture. Flip with me to John 17. This is a scripture I mentioned to you Wednesday night that I read and said, no way. (laughs) And I put it down. I came back the next day. I read it again and said, no way. And I put it down. I read it again the next day and said, God, there is absolutely no way this is saying what I think it's saying. And God said, yes, it is. What an amazing scripture. John 17, starting in verse 20, and it reads like this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let's set the stage. Jesus Christ, at the beginning of chapter 17, prayed for himself. Picking up about verse 5 or 6, he switched gears and prayed for his disciples. Now in verse 20, he says, It's not for just these that I pray, but for all of those who will believe in me through their word, through the preaching of the gospel. He goes on to say that they all may be one. How? As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one Just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Did you catch it? Did you hear it? He didn't say, I want them to be one so they all get along and can meet for an hour on Sunday morning and not kill each other. He didn't say, I want them to all be one so we can have a business meeting that goes nice and smooth. I don't want them to all be one so that the church could have a happy gathering twice a week. He said, just as. Verse 22, just as. You may and may not would think you could find it easy to be one with me. Maybe you find me to be easy to get along with. Maybe not. You may look next to you, and hopefully if you're sitting next to your husband or wife, this is the case. You may say, I could be one with them. But that's not what he said. He says, I want them to be one just as we are one. 
This is Jesus, God, speaking to God the Father and said, I want them to be just like us. How? How could that be true? When I read this scripture, I said, no. That thought has never crossed my mind that Jesus wanted us to be in the same relationship him and the Father are. How is it even possible that that could be the case? Because Jesus, if you remember, when he was asked in John 14, John 14, 8, I believe it is. Yes, John 14, 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. The guys who had been with him looked at him and said, show us the Father. And Jesus looked back at them and said, have I been with you so long and let, yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. He said to Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen God. Jesus said, I want you to be in the same relationship with him that I am. Lay those next to each other. You know what the world should see when they see you? God. You should be in such a relationship with God that when they look into your eyes, they see the eyes of God. When they hear your heartbeat, they hear the heartbeat of God. When words come out of your mouth, they are words that are spoken through you by God. See, I don't understand how it could be possible that God could make my relationship with Him the same as the relationship He has with Jesus. But I know this. Jesus asked. Everything Jesus asked, He asked in the will of the Father. And everything that's asked in the will of the Father is answered. Regardless of if I know how, I know the request was made by a holy God on our behalf. Therefore, that is what is to happen for us. We're to be just as they are in relationship. God wants us to be so unified that we're a picture of that trinity that exists in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be so unified that our, everything we do in our lives is a picture of that trinity. Not just willing to put up with each other because we're Christians that are supposed to. Not just growing close to the ones that we like. Not just putting up with each other. God wants us to mirror the trinity. So that everything that's done is done in one accord by the Holy Spirit through us because the Father directs Him to do just that. The church is supposed to be unified to the point that we act and react just like the Godhead. Why? 
Verse 23 tells us why. Verse 23 says that we are to be just as they are one. It says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one so that. If you think the just as phrase messed with my mind, the so that. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What is the mission of the church? It's to be so unified that the world knows Jesus is the Messiah. If that doesn't scare you to death, something's wrong with you. It doesn't say that we're to open the word and preach standing on the street corner. It doesn't say that we're to buy a radio advertisement. It doesn't say we're to put up billboards. It says we should be so unified that the world knows Jesus is the Messiah. Now do you understand why I say the church has failed? I dare say. The average person walking into a church, our facility included, doesn't walk in and go, wow, because of the unity in this body, I now believe Jesus is the Messiah. But that's what Jesus said. See, I wouldn't have done it that way. Logically, that makes absolutely no sense to me. You know what makes sense to me? You know I love the Bible. I believe every word in it's true. Give me 30 minutes with a guy, I can walk him through and show him all the prophecies that have been fulfilled, all those things that have been answered, answer all of his questions about the negativity he has and, and the things he says are not true about the Bible. And it's, it's doing that, that would make him believe. But that's not what Jesus said. You know, it's not just that, but think about this. Think about we fill the room full of a bunch of folks who don't know Jesus and we stop and we pray for every person that's sick and because their body's healed or they're raised from the dead, then they'll all come to know that he's the Messiah. But that's not what he said. We could feed every hungry person in Pender County in the name of Jesus and then they'd all come to know that Jesus is the Messiah. But that's not what he said. You know how I know that's not the way he chose to make proof that he's the Messiah? He did all those things when he walked on this earth and they hung him on a cross and killed him. He raised people from the dead that later stood at the cross and spit on him. He fed their hungry bellies, but when it came to the end, they marched the street saying, crucify him. He preached the word of God every time he opened his mouth and they ran a spear through his side. I can heal every broken body in Pender County, feed every face in Pender County that's hungry. I can explain everything in the Bible and they still won't believe he's Jesus. You know why? Because God said he was going to prove it through you. Through the unity of the church. Are all those other things important? Absolutely. But think about the miracle of a body of people so loving God that they put each other first. 
that each person is more important than the next in their own mind. And a person walking in that lives in the world out there where it's all about me. And they walk into this place and they see a love they've never seen before. They'll know who Jesus is then. You see, he said that we are to love. We are to preach. We are to feed. But more importantly, he says we are to be unified so that, so that the world knows he's the Messiah. So our unity is not only good for us, it's not only there to show that Jesus is the Messiah, but it's there to show that there's a need for salvation in this world. Flip with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 2 says this about unity. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, those sound a lot like the list that we were talking about in Ephesians, doesn't it? He goes on to say, fulfill my joy by bearing like-minded or being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. The definition of humility, by the way. Let each of you not only uh, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Paul says as he's writing the second chapter of Philippians. That if you want to demonstrate God's love to the world, demonstrate it by loving that tough person to love in the body of Christ. We all know there are tough people to love in the body of Christ, don't we? There's no way we could put this many people together every week and there not be someone who doesn't like someone else's idea. I know a bunch of you every week leaving not liking my idea that I should preach till I'm finished. Do tell me that as we leave. But it's not about us the minute that i look at what i want above what's best for you i'm in sin what paul said is the same thing jesus said that the greatest love that can ever be demonstrated is that i lay down my life for you how much different would our church look And how much different would our world look if each of us laid down our life for the person sitting in the pew next to us, the person living in the house next door, the person sitting at the desk across from us at work, the person who's marching down the street wanting rights for something we don't agree with. How much different would the world look instead of criticizing them, we laid down our life and prayed that God would save them? How much different would our world look If we did what Paul said. If we did what Jesus said. And see, that's the call to the church. It's not optional. The day you became saved. The day that you were chosen by God to to be a part of his family. The day that the Holy Spirit worked in your heart in such a way that Jesus became Lord of your life. 
It was no longer about you. It was all about the one who hung on the cross and died for your sins. Jesus said you turned the other cheek. Jesus said you had two shirts. Your brother needs one. Give him one. What did the church do in Acts when it was first formed? Do you remember? They sold everything they had. They brought it together. Why? To take care of the needs of those around them. You know why they did that? Because they believed Jesus had risen from the dead. you know why? They saw it. You know why we don't do that? We don't believe. No way around it. If we really believe God's word, you take everything you had and do whatever God told you with it because you'd know he'd put it back if you needed it. You know that you could set aside that family reunion or the dinner that you had to go to because God's asked you to go down to the hospital to visit someone and you could care less that your family would be mad because if you did what God asked you to do, this would work itself out. I'm really going to stomp some toes now and I'm sure you're going to want to see me afterwards. If you believed in God like I believed in God, this is what Wednesday night would look like. I love you with all of my heart. I will hold you by the knees to keep you from winding up in a place called hell. I will drag you kicking and screaming to the cross if that's what it takes. And if you truly know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'll tell you the truth whether you hate me for it or not. But if you can't give up an hour on Wednesday night to come into this place, blame it on work, blame it on being tired, blame it on the church, but you're talking to the wrong stinking guy. Because I work 75 hours a week and I don't miss it. So if you want to come up and tell me, come, be ready. You're going to get it with both barrels. If you can't give up an hour on Wednesday night for God... I don't want to be you when you stand at the judgment seat and have to answer for it. You do as you see fit. It's between you and God. Back on the trail we were on. The church, it's unity. It says put others ahead of yourself. Here's why. Look at Philippians 1.27. We said it's good for us as a body. It's good for the community. It's good for those around us that we're unified. But here's the ultimate goal. Philippians 1.27 says this. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It sounds exactly like what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 when he talks about the worthy walk. He goes on to say, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Look at the unity. The unity is that you have one spirit, one mind, everybody striving for the faith of the gospel. It says, I'm not in any way terrified by your adversaries. This is a terrifying time in the life of the church. The way the rules and the laws are changing around us, it's going to become more and more difficult to do what we're doing today. I can't remember, I believe it's Iowa. Iowa just put up that they're going to interpret the law about hate speech and the bathroom issue so that the church now has to allow the use of bathrooms by gender identity, not by biological sex. 
And for a pastor to stand in a pulpit and say anything different is an arrestable offense. Who would have thought? Who would have thought in our world that I could be arrested for telling you the truth? But if that's what it takes, so be it. But he says, don't be terrified by your adversaries. He goes on to say, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in us. Do you hear what he said was the result of unity? See, Paul points out that this unity doesn't just affect us here. It affects everyone around us. Everyone that sees the church universal. Paul points out that the world is missing that unity. I don't think any of us would argue with that. Because everything that's being interpreted now is based on how a person feels or a group of people feels. Not looking out for the whole or even the next door neighbor. Think about how strange it would be to find a group of people that think not about themselves, but about everyone else first. Think about how strange you would look to this world if you didn't really care about all those superficial things, you love them anyway. Think about how different you would look to this world if everybody around you was a greater concern to you than yourself how different would it be to walk into this place on Sunday morning if everybody here cared more about the person coming in the door than they did about themselves see he says in verse 28 let unity be the rule not the exception he says in verse 28 and not in any way be terrified by your adversaries which is to them a proof of their perdition a proof of their destruction. What did Paul just write? You want to prove to the world that they need Jesus? Be unified. He says unity is the proof to the world that their destiny is a place called hell. Unity likewise is proof to the world that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see how those things link together? He says that to be unified is to show the world that they're damned for all eternity. Have you ever thought that the unity that we have in Christ would convict the world of their sins? Have you ever thought that just the unity of the church would convict the world? When I read that, it completely changed my thought about the church. See, what a strange way to show Jesus to the world. But you know, it makes perfect sense. You see, we are to be a reflection of the unity of the Trinity. The unity of the Trinity shows God's love to us in a very great way. For you have God the Father who His desire is for us to be saved. You have God the Holy Spirit that He sends to work in our hearts to convict us of the sin in our life and to draw us to His Son, Jesus Christ. And then you have God the Son 
who hung upon a cross, paying the ultimate price for your sin, while you were still in sin, not caring that there was salvation, he died upon a cross for that sin. The perfect picture of love in the Trinity. And we're to be the reflection of that Trinity to the world. And see, it says that not only is it proof of their destruction, but it also says proof that you have salvation. God has chosen unity within the church to prove that there is salvation for the lost. Does our church show the world Jesus? Is the unity we have so strange that when they come in that door into our presence, they recognize their destruction and our salvation? When the world walks in, is, is the way that we operate, the way that we love each other, the unity of the church, is it so strange that they kind of lean in to see what's going on and they look right into the face of Jesus? Does the world see Christ in the way that we live personally and the way that we live as a church? Does the world recognize our unity as being Jesus. So I ask you these questions. What does the world see when it sees this church? What does the world see when it sees the church universal across all the world? Is the church so unified today? Is our church so unified today? That a lost person walking in that door would recognize their need for Jesus. If not, there's only one answer. It's that the church repents. For God has called us to be so unified that the world sees their destruction and sees our salvation. It calls us to be so unified we're a picture of the Trinity. Anything short of having accomplished that requires forgiveness because we have sinned. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.